This is the final episode of Film Critics Weekly. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Mike Dross. You're live. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're watching us. It could be either time. Uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Film Critics Weekly. I, of course, am Scott Menzel. And uh, we have a big announcement. But before we go into the big announcement, we want to introduce the panel today. Uh, joined, of course, is Nestor and Lupe. Uh, Lupe, where can they find you? Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Lupe. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Cinemovie TV, and on the web, Cinemovie.tv, my website. Uh, my name is Nestor Vendancor. I am the president of this amazing organization, Critic, uh, <laughs> Critics Organization. And hopefully after this episode, I'm going to remain as <laughs> the president of this organization. We'll, just, we'll see. We'll see. Yes. So that that's kind of ties into the big name, uh, Change. Uh, of course, this show used to be presented by the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. And uh, that is no longer the name of this organization. It is now the Hollywood Critics Association, HCA. Much easier to say. Um, and we are so excited about that. And with that comes some more additional news. Uh, this show, uh, Film Critics Weekly, as well as some other content, will be launched on a brand new network. Uh, thanks to the wonderful people here at Popcorn Talk, uh, the Hollywood Critics Association will have its own network coming in January. So we're going to be taking this show over there, as well as some additional new shows to be made. Um, a lot of conversation about that in the next couple of weeks, and we'll have a full lineup, uh, hopefully early in January. So stay tuned for that. Um, and we thought the best way to kind of end this show on this network, and this network is wonderful, Popcorn Talk has been wonderful to us, and we're always thankful to Kevin, Maria, and the rest of the team here who produces this show week after week. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. We really appreciate you accepting this show and uh, this organization in your family with open arms. Uh, this episode today is going to be dedicated to the end of the decade. In film, we will be doing a special tribute to the end of the decade at our award ceremony on January 9th, 2020 uh, here in Hollywood. Uh, if you're around, it's going to be a hard ticket to get to. So, uh, you know. You could stand outside and wave to us, and we'll say, hey, how are you? Thanks for your support. Um, but we wanted to talk about uh, our personal uh, ten favorites uh, of this decade. Uh, going to be a very different list, I'm sure. Um, we're going to start off uh, doing like a ten, nine, eight, seven, six. We're each going to do ten, then we're going to nine. You know, you get the drill. Um, let's start off with number ten, and we're going to start off with Nestor. Yes, and uh, let's start with... Um Remembering that these lists are very subjective. Yes. <laughs> they are very uh, incomplete. And they're very unfair by nature, you know, because when you highlight something, it means that you're going to exclude many things. So keep that in mind, people. Okay. Number 10. <laughs> Number 10. I'm going to start with a foreign film. And usually that means, oh, it's a prestigious drama. <laughs> Why? Why? I'm going to pick The Raid 2. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a movie that I think that the first one is amazing and it can be in the conversation which one is better, but the movie grows. I mean, not just in, in length, but in scope. It's not only about action. It's also about intrigue, about power, about the crime organizations. And it's the whole package. If you love movies, you're going to get a little bit of everything. So I'm very impressed with uh, Gareth Evans as a director. Sadly, we haven't seen him working, I mean, in a, in a big action movie in Hollywood. So that's my pick number 10, yes. How about for you, Lube? All right, I'm going to cheat a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually picked the Planet of the Apes trilogy. Okay. Because it's unique when you have three films, and they're all reboots that are really really good so and I was surprised to learn the first one Rise of the Planet of the Apes was 2011 I thought it was the previous decade so the fact that they accomplished this in one decade it's pretty amazing yeah. so that's my number 10 and all the movies were really really good 
Um, it was a shame that Woody Harrison wasn't nominated for anything for War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, I agree. Because he was brilliant. It was just on cable the other day. Wow. His performance, very, very powerful. And I think just that whole movie and the themes of it, that's what's good about these movies, the themes. And Andy Serkis. I mean, yeah. nothing. I mean, it's just, it was an unbelievable trilogy. And I don't think we're going to see anything like it. No, again. and this is a good reason why Disney should not reboot it right now. Yeah. They should give it some time. Leave it, give it as some is. Time. They can do a sequel. They can do a sequel? Yeah, they can continue with Cesar's oh, song. Oh, yeah, mm. I guess so. I didn't even think about that. But I don't think it's going to be R-rated. Let's see. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Yeah. Um, I want to also start my list by saying exactly what Nestor said. Um, my, my, my top ten is going to be uh, a lot different because it's going to be films that I feel personal about, personal connection to me in some way, shape, or form. And uh, some of them are going to be ones where you're like, of course that movie's on this list. So it's a nice combination of personal, like if you know me, what movies I would like, and then also um, movies that a lot of people are going to have on their list. So um, I'm going to start off with my number 10, which is Personal Shopper. Um, This was a a hard one to pick between this and Clouds of Sils Maria, Uh, both directed, written and directed by Oliver Asayas. I think I butchered that name, but... uh, you know I love you, buddy. You're a great director. Um, and it stars Kristen Stewart. Both of them actually star, mm-hmm. star Kristen Stewart. And um, it's a fascinating uh, take on um, a ghost story and one about a personal shopper in Paris, played by Kristen Stewart, who gets some weird text messages. And it's done so creepily in this film and so... The ending, I think, of this movie like kind of leaves the door open for so much conversation and so mm-hmm. much debate. And that's something that I love. It's, it's not a flashy movie in any sense of the word. It, it's a very quiet, subdued performance from Kristen and the story itself. And um, yet it, it leaves that long impression on you, and that's why it's my number 10. And it's haunting. Yes. I mean, in oh, many ways. It, yeah. And it's, it gets scary. It really does. Yeah. I mean, there are certain scenes in that movie, and again, this is a very low-budget film. You can tell that this movie was probably made for like a million or two million dollars. A lot of it either takes place in a business office or in a house, and um, it's a lot of it relies so heavily on Kristen's performance, and she just kills it. Yeah. See, I haven't yeah. seen that, so I'm going to put that on my list. Okay. Uh, number nine for you, Nestor. And something I, I forgot to mention before, my criteria, uh, it was movies that were ignored by the Oscars when it, when it came to the film themselves, either Best Picture, Best Foreign Language, or Best Documentary. And uh, it's interesting because so far that's going to be, uh, it has been kind of the pattern yeah. between these, these picks. Okay, number 10. Let's go with Sama, including a movie from Latin America. Lucrecia Martel It's a phenomenal director. And, you know, everybody talks about Roma and films like, like that. But this is such a big film in terms of scope. I mean, it, it, it's hard to compare to anything else, but this year we have something like The Nightingale, or we can go back to something like The Mission, when you're talking about people trying to cope with the, with the elements and this clash of uh, different cultures that is not something not only specific to the characters, but they have a, a bigger you know, goal to talk about big issues. So I find it very interesting. And just to give you a, a brief synopsis, um, Don Diego de Sama, Spanish officer of the 17th century, settled in Asuncion, uh, awaits his transfer to Buenos Aires. It sounds very boring. <laughs> <laughs> but from the filmmaking point of view, there are so many shots and scenes that you don't know how they pull it off. So if you love movies, check it out. All right. I also want to preface it by saying I picked movies that I think made a difference. It made Good. not so much uh, in general, but just what it did for filmmaking. Great. And it takes it takes things into a different direction. So mine is John Wick. Why? Because it was a different type of action hero. I think with Bruce Willis and Die Hard, he started off this Mart Alec kind of superhero, and you see like Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel and all these other they're Smart Alecs. And I think John Wick took that away and made it this serious guy who's an action hero. And now we're going to see we're seeing copies of that. So I think it took the action hero in a new direction. And I really liked it because he's a man of little words, right? 
Absolutely. And it's the opposite of any of all the other superheroes that we've seen. And it's very interesting because this film, just like your previous pick, is now three movies, uh, all that came out this decade, mm-hmm. and all have seen great success yeah. and has gotten very little love from any sort of awards yeah. at all. Yeah, I think it changed things for the genre. Yeah, it's almost in a weird way, almost like how the which is interesting because they both star Keanu Reeves, yeah. almost like how The Matrix did yeah. in the 90s. No, and I like it because I think we're we are going to have a few movies that you can debate between the first one and the second one mm-hmm. in their respective franchises. And that's another one. It's like, you see the first one better than the second one? Yeah. Uh, great pick. Uh, for me, um, my number nine is going to be the one where I know everyone's going to be like, really, Scott? Really? <laughs> um, and I don't care because I love this movie, and that's The Greatest Showman. Um, greatest Showman is such a breath of fresh air when it comes to movie musicals because so many movie musicals are based on a stage play. This is one of the original movie musicals, something that we don't get to see in Hollywood really at all. Uh, we remember producers and Mamma Mia and I know you know Into the Heights just dropped their trailer yesterday. These are all adaptations, stage adaptations. Yeah. Greatest Showman is one of the first movies I think in like the last maybe decade or two that is an original concept that can actually go now from a movie onto a stage. And the movie is set up almost like a stage play in in almost every way. The songs are incredible. They move the story along. They each mean something to the way the plot shapes up. Uh, the characters, Hugh Jackman, I mean, seriously, this guy can do no wrong whether he's playing um, Wolverine or he's the, the principal in Bad Education or if he's freaking Barnum and... Uh, you know, greatest showman. He's just great. And the supporting cast here, you know, Michelle Williams being able to step away from the serious roles, do something a little bit more lighthearted and fun is it's always nice to see. Zach Efron reminded me why I used to love Zach Efron in this movie and Zendaya, she was great as well. So uh that's my pick and I, I, I think this is just one of this is if people don't like this movie, it's going to be hard to deny that at least it's the feel-good film of the decade and one that has proved that with the box office success. Mm, yeah, I was surprised with that one. I was, I found it annoying. <laughs> I'm <laughs> not a, okay. I'm not a big musical fan, but uh, yeah, for some reason that movie annoyed me. It's okay. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the movie as at all as, as, as a whole, but when it comes to the spectacle, the music, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the songs work better than the script and obviously they are part of the script but I think that the, the songs are uh, better messengers of the you know the intentions of the film and what, what it's about than the dialogue right but overall it's, it's it's a very strong musical yeah and I mean when you look at that that's why I'm saying and, and that's my reasoning behind this is because if you watch a stage play if a stage musical, most of the focus is is on the songs. Is the song catchy? Is it does it move mm-hmm. the story forward? There's there's so many so many plays or Broadway musicals where the dialogue's not the greatest, but it's about the actors who all these actors sell the material and the songs and the lyrics mm-hmm. and they all work. And that's why I say it's a great musical. Yeah, and I agree. And uh, something to compare with that that I mean in the opposite uh, uh, Spectrum is Frozen 2. I think that the songs don't move the story forward. They just keep hammering the same things all over again. Especially sad. We are sad. Okay. <laughs> Number eight, right? Uh, it's going to be Paddington. You know? Oh, wow. Another one that you can argue is it better the first one or the second one? And I love Paddington. It's a great um, allegory for immigration, you know, mm-hmm. and anti xenophobic sentiments. I think that's very relevant. And you have probably one of the best films mixing a protagonist that is not live action in a live action environment. You, ha- you have to go back to Who Framed Roger Rabbit to compare something to, to this level. Uh, Paul King did a phenomenal job. It's such an endearing, stylish, warm movie. The, the second one as well. So Paddington had to be here. Absolutely. Another one I got to add to my list. Jeez. <laughs> All right, so my next pick is Gone Girl. Okay. I pick movies. Also, I pick movies that when you when the movie ends, you're like, 
Wow. What did I just watch? Like, that is the most effed up story. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that my relationship had issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was a great movie. It was just so unique. And when films are unique, it just leaves me breathless. And that film and the performance, what is the actor's name? I completely forgot her name. Uh, that was the, oh, Mike. Ro- Rose- Rosemary. Yeah. Rosemary. Pike. Rosemary Pike. Pike. Rosemary Pike. Rosemary Pike. Yeah. She was brilliant. And yeah. we have not had a good femme fatale in the longest time. And so to watch her in that role was so juicy. Like any actor who watched that or actress would have been like, I wish I had that role. It was interesting because that also was, I think, a career changer for her for yeah. a little bit. They were trying to push her for the next couple of years in these movies that were sort of beneath her performance. Right. Uh, I forgot there was that war movie. I can't remember the name of it. I shouldn't yeah. talk about stuff when I don't know the exact name. But there was just a couple movies that came out afterwards where I remember they were pushing her because of that movie. Mm-hmm. She's like, remember, did you ever see her in Gone Girl? She's great in that. <laughs> uh, and I, I think... That was very short-lived, unfortunately, yeah. but she is a great actress, and that movie really proved it. Mm-hmm. Um, my number eight, and, and this is very surprising to me, that a Disney movie made the cut, uh, and that is Zootopia. And I think Zootopia made the cut because it's probably the ballsiest Disney movie ever made. Yeah. Uh, you talk about movies that deal with timely issues, uh, police brutality, segregation, very heavy, heavy themes but done so in such a clever and fun way. Zootopia is it. Um, this was, you know, I called that the, the day I saw it that it was going to win Best Animated Feature. Uh, and I don't know if Disney will ever make something like this again. I, I, I just, it didn't hold back. Mm-hmm. It, it had so much to say. And I think it started conversations with, with children, with their mm-hmm. parents. And it's so important for stories like this to exist, even on, from a company like Disney, and I and I kudos to them for for doing it. Yeah, bullying was a big theme about mm-hmm. that movie. Yeah, and I mean they did it with cute characters. You know, yeah. that's like they found a clever way. And I, this was one of the few times where I think Disney truly outshined Pixar. It was one of those times where they really outshined Pixar. Yeah, uh, let's go to number seven, and again. I don't have any animated film in my list, so apologies. <laughs> but remember, these are films that were not considered for Academy Awards, and some people are saying, your name should be there, but okay, sorry. <laughs> Let's go with The Babadook. I oh, mean, great. The Babadook, it's a, it's a new classic, talking yeah. about horror, mm-hmm. and especially since it's, it's available on Netflix, everybody had a chance either to see it or to recommend it easily. You know, you want to see a good horror movie tonight? Go see Babadook. And it's a movie that works in so many levels. Uh, it's a kind of a psychological thriller. Is these uh, two people uh, under the the power of paranoia? They're going insane. Is there something supernatural going on? Jennifer Kent not not only directed but created the, the story, the script, and everything. And talking about female directors, such an amazing, amazing job. So the Babadook, yeah. Well, I do have an animated film on my list. So, number seven, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, great choice. Like I said, I pick Game Changers. Yep. And I think that one, because it was risky, you're switching out Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And they did it so, so well. And it was nice to see the directors get, <laughs> after being fired from the Han Solo movie, um, yes. to see them, see them have some success. And then after watching this movie, I actually thought, what would have Han Solo looked like? with these guys at the helm. Even though it was a different direction than apparently Disney and Lucasfilm wanted to go. Yep. But I was like, I really want to see... I'm, I'm, that cut doesn't exist, obviously. But right. Because it was never... They never it's got not to like that the point. Snyder cut. It doesn't no, exist. It doesn't exist. But yeah, that, that one was a big game changer. And again, that feeling when you finish watching the movie and you're like, that was perfect. That movie was perfect. Where I sat in the movie theater like, wow, that was really, really good. I think that was like the first time where I've seen an animated movie where um, in a very long time where I'm like, wow, this is great for people of color. This is great for women. 
this is great for like everyone. This is great for animation. Like this has literally had something for everyone. It's to great offer. for geeks. It's great it's for a geeks. Very very geeky film. <laughs> yep. If you analyze the screen, I mean, what different versions of characters, dimensions, characters that come from different mediums, like Sp- Spider Pig, yeah. you know, interacting with this other noir character uh, voiced by Nicolas Cage. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and then for the fact that animation, you can play with these known, like Batman, the Lego Batman movie. I was going to put that on my list, but I didn't make it. But you can do so much in animation and get away mm-hmm. with it, and it's accepted. Yeah. Versus live action, you can't. Right. So that's why I love this. You know, animated version. I completely agree. Um, this is the my seven pick is the conclusion to one of my favorite film trilogies of, of probably all time, and that is Before Midnight, uh, Before Sunset, Before oh, Sunrise, okay. and now Before Midnight. Uh, just this is a f- just beautiful, perfect example of less is more. Two people walking down the street having a conversation, gripping, engaging, entertaining, funny, adorable, loving. I just there's not enough words to describe how perfect this film is and the chemistry between Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi is just spot on. I don't think there'll be a better on-screen duo uh in in this generation. I really don't. Uh they're just great and um what I love so much about this movie is the way that it ends and me and my wife have totally different viewpoints of what's going to happen or what happened at the end of the movie and that's what makes independent films so great usually is that they have these endings where they don't spell everything out you kind of like left and you're like let's have a conversation what do you think happened and what was the reasons why you think that happened and went that direction great great film one of i mean richard linklater just this is like those are his like his his babies those are his best movies and there are many films that try to achieve that yeah. and fail oh my god miserably yes let's go to 2015 a movie that i, I remember i was doing a live um coverage of the academy award nominations and when i realized that this movie wasn't there i was like what is going on right now? <laughs> Carol. Oh, yeah. I love Carol. It was my favorite film of that year. Oh, is it, a, uh, what's her name? Kate uh, Blanchett? Kate Blanchett, oh, Erwin Mara, Sarah Paulson, directed by Todd Haynes. That was a and movie. it's such an intimate film. It's so romantic. It, you, you feel like a voyeur sometimes. It's, it's, it's not the intention. You, you don't have like the male gaze there, but you feel part of the relationship and you see the relationship grow. And I, I think that these um, forbidden love stories, you know, in, in the past years have come from these stories, you know, from and gay, lesbian, different, oh, yeah. you know, um, kind of. Um, Ways to 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 connect with each other, to express with each other, and to fight against you know society. We had this year a portrait of a lady on fire. We had call me by your call me by your name. We had moonlight, and I think that they, these stories are, are the the best manifestation of of that. You know that struggle to not just have the connection with somebody else, but to live the life that you want to live and you cannot. And I think that this movie was so tasteful, so beautiful. I love it. One of the movies I just want to just give it some love since it ties to what you just said that is sadly just like missed my list by like this much is Blue is the Warmest Color. That is a film that I, I saw in Toronto and my, dro- my, my jaw dropped. I mean, it just two actors, actresses who I've never seen before in a movie in a, in a completely subtitled film and I just felt the passion and the rage and my heart broke watching that movie and it was just god it was such a great movie that was your bonus <laughs> that's <laughs> my <laughs> bonus I got yeah. bonus list too here <laughs> <laughs> alright so my number six is Arrival great Denise how do you spell it Denis Villeneuve Denis Villeneuve yes yeah so that's my favorite like another film that I was speechless when it ended. Yes. It was just so beautifully constructed. Performance by Ad- Amy Adams was just phenomenal. Everything about it was just the cinematography, the messaging behind it. Again, another about no uh, fear of the unknown. 
immigration. It was just mm-hmm. like all those themes, like it hits you over the head. And it's, it's very subtle. Like sometimes you have to explain to people what these meant. Yeah. And the fact that people fear the unknown, you know, which is very, I mean, this is before, you know, the Trump era, but it's still resonated yeah, right. then. Even, re- well, Even for me, more so now. Well, more so now, but me as a, as immigrants, as, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a product of immigrants. It's always been a theme for us. You know, it's just amplified now. Yeah. But that movie spoke to to me at the time with all these themes, and it was just it was just a perfect movie. That's a fantastic film yeah. too. Uh, my number six is Nightcrawler. Uh, oh Dan Gilroy, boy, he just knocked it out of the park. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, this probably like best performance of this decade. Oh, yeah. I want to say that. Yeah. Uh, just a haunting film about news capturing (laughs) and how everyone wants to uh, get the big story no matter what it takes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rene Russo has a very small role in the film, Mm -hmm. but my God, she's a powerhouse as well. And uh, man, I I don't think I'll look at uh, entertainment news or just journalism in general the same after seeing this movie. (laughs) That's yeah. true. Yeah, that was a powerful performance. It's kind of the network of our times. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sadly, they, could, they couldn't repeat that with Velvet Bazo no. this year. No. Yeah. Um, that's a pity. Okay, so top five. Yeah. Right? We're at number five. Let's go there. And I think I, I, think I saw something here. Logan, number five for me. I was looking for the perfect uh, superhero film that would kind of represent uh, not just what it has been great for the past years but what it could achieve in the future and I think that Logan is the way, this is the way uh, it's such a powerful film so contained in so many ways but at the same time, you know, he's a guy with powers <laughs> he's a mutant and he's a, he has a claws coming out of, of his hands and I think that you are in love with the characters the characters that you know the new characters, it's so emotional, so powerful. I was crying. The second time I, I saw it, everything around, you know, the Patrick Stewart character, and it was even more affecting. So maybe it doesn't represent kind of the spectacle side of that category of films, but in terms of story, it's fantastic. Right. Yeah, I agree. That one later. <laughs> uh, all right, my next one, number five, is Attack, Attack the Block. Nice. So nice. John yeah. Boyega stars in it. Yep. That's when I first saw him on screen. I'm like, that guy's going to do something. <laughs> it's a great film. It brings sci-fi into the urban area. And so you've never seen that before. And it was just great. It was really funny. It was, it's comedy. What, what would the genre be? Sci-fi comedy? Sci-fi comedy, yeah. <laughs> it's a unique genre. Yeah. Maybe even in, like action a little bit in there. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a perfect blur the lines Sci-fi, of genre. Yeah. adventure. Yeah. So it was, it was... And then... You know, it takes place in the suburb of London, but you can still relate to it. And it's these characters who are urban. They're, I don't want to say poor. They're underrepresented. Mm -hmm. But it's how they, in their own way, are going to um, set up an attack for these alien intruders. (laughs) And it's hilarious. Yeah, it's a great film. Great film. Very underrated, too. Yes. Very underrated. Uh, My number five is her. Um, Mm. Spike Jones, writer and director. Uh, I don't... You know, like, thinking about actors, I don't know if there's been a stronger actor this decade. You know, I, I think Adam Driver's a close second. Mm-hmm. But Joaquin Phoenix. Between the master, her, and then to end out on Joker. Yeah. Just, what, where he goes, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> the dark. performance <laughs> is just incredible. And, and this one, I... It was one of the first films to ever have the idea of falling in love with a piece of technology with a voice. And Scarlett Johansson just, you know, her voice really captured why someone would fall in love. Yeah. And it was a beautiful and intimate story, uh, one that's very different, very bold. I also think it was kind of risky at the time. And... uh, Again, it's Spike Jones is just a master uh, filmmaker and storyteller, and he, he goes with weird ideas and he runs with them, but they end up being something so different and so unique. I, I think back to adaptation and what he was able to do with a movie like that, and and I think her uh, is is one of the, the the finest works of art of of this decade. Yeah, phenomenal. Uh, number four, Scott. 
Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> that is actually my number four, too. So what? we can both talk about it together. Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. There you go. The documentary, yeah. right? Yes. yes. Okay. Not the beautiful right, day right, in the right, neighborhood, right. which is not anywhere on any deck. We didn't talk about this. No. This wasn't coordinated no. or rehearsed or anything. That's amazing. I mean, I'm not surprised because I know that you really love the movie. Yeah. But talking about big snobs, but this, is, this has to be one of the most shocking uh, exclusions from the competition, mm. talking about Oscars. Oh, my God. Yeah. We were all betting that it was going to win. This is close to Parasite not being nominated for Best International Films. Right. Oh, I agree. Incredible. And the film, I mean, for someone like, like me, that I'm an immigrant and I, and I don't have the, the shared past with uh, someone like uh, Mr. Rogers to discover this person, to see all this footage, not just from the shows themselves, but from private, you know, collections or whatever. It was so moving, so affecting, so relevant. And to see him, you know, nowadays we have this argument about uh, political correctness and being a social justice warrior or something like that. He was a social <laughs> justice warrior in the best sense possible. Yeah. And he showed you the way and how through kindness you can aspire to change the world mm -hmm. very inspiring very moving the movie is kind of therapy it's very cheap therapy <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I love it I yeah love it. I, I my heart was broken when this movie wasn't nominated for best documentary I remember seeing this movie at Sundance and I walked out of the movie and I was just like in tears uh, I grew up. I, I, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and uh, you know it was a show that I remember very fondly. You know, it, it almost, in a weird way, led to the creation of other shows like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. If you look, mm -hmm. uh, not Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but uh, Big, uh, I forgot, uh, Playhouse, Pee Wee's Playhouse. If you look at a lot of the yeah. themes from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and. Pee Wee's Playhouse, mm -hmm. a lot of it is similar. There's a lot of learning going on, a lot of interaction with kids. Different tone, obviously, sold more for merchandise. What, what, I, what I love about, about Fred Rogers is that he was, he was a conservative, he was a preacher, and he, he stood for everyone. Mm -hmm. he, he, he took a child aside and he spoke to him or her and he, like, he was an adult and he had a real conversation and he wasn't afraid Oh, you want to talk about death? You want to talk about divorce? You want to talk about some serious issue? No problem. Let's have a conversation about it. The what, what he did for people with disabilities, what he did with people for people of color, what he did for public television. Mm -hmm. It just just this is a a badass legend and one who did that badass le legend with kindness and hope, mm -hmm. and just never was part of the system fought against the system and I said this and I'm quoted for this and I stick to this quote one of the best documentaries ever made you without when, question when it came out it was funny I didn't want to watch it because I didn't want them to sully any, any yeah. image I had of, of the guy which yeah. is funny because then later I read reviews and I was like oh okay it doesn't do anything because a lot of times documentaries they, de they dig deep into their psyche and sometimes you don't want to find out. Right. Because you have this image of them. Mm -hmm. So another one i got to put on my list to watch. But then I forgot about it. But initially I didn't want to watch it because of that. I thought, well, I don't want anything. I don't want to learn anything negative about him. I already have my, you know, I have him up here on a pedestal. I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> knock him down a few notches. Yeah. So. No, I just, just, I was so moved by this film. And, and I agree with you, Ness. This is one of the biggest snubs in probably Oscar history. Mm -hmm. All right. Go Number for it. Number four. Number four. All right. Rogue One. I know he's like what? yeah, well, <laughs> like interesting, oh, only interesting choice. Like I'm I said, not... game changer because this is a decade of Star Wars coming back. Yeah, and you know, so it's been somewhat disappointing. But Rogue One initially took me two viewings, two viewings to actually enjoy it. Why? Because I think we're so used to the familiar that at first you're like, mm, I, don't know, I don't know, and then I watched it again. I'm like, oh, okay, now you can appreciate it because it was different it wasn't just fan service which I think the new Star Wars movies are oh, you know God. it's just purely like Force Awakens was just <laughs> a rip off of New Hope yes you know and I mean I enjoyed it but I was just like yeah I was hoping for something different or to continue the story I felt like we were stalled you know so Rogue One was different the performances were really good and even though you knew they were all gonna die 
because who the ties into a classic. Yeah, who doesn't know that? It was just Diego Luna, and I love the fact that they put Diego Luna in a movie or any Mexican <laughs> in a Star Wars film <laughs> in a lead role too. In a lead role too. In a lead role, and I think he did really great. And the fact that they hired him despite the accent really says a lot. Yeah. Because you always hear about people. I mean, they change Australians and English people to American accents. Why are people afraid? Yeah. Of people with accents. Yeah. What that's, is that? Why that's is that the kind of the kind of diversity you don't hear about. Yeah. Or George uh, Guillermo del Toro was telling me that he wanted to cast um, in stories that you tell in the dark. The protagonist has glasses. He said previously suits have fought him against it. We don't want any actors with glasses. Wow. Why? That makes no. I mean, that goes along with the accent. Yeah. Even if it's an accent from England or an Australian accent. That's just weird to me. So, for me, that was a game changer, that Diego Luna portrayed this main character. He has a bit of an accent. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on from that, I will just say that, without question, Rogue One is is the best of any of these new Star Wars movies. I um, think the opposite. Really? I mean, Rogue One is the the one that worked the least for me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, Maybe I need to see it a second time. Watch it a second time. Yeah, the first one, you know... And then I watched the second. I'm like, oh, okay. I like what they did there. Okay, that's cool. So I guess I'm going with number three because yeah. I already talked about. Yeah. Um, okay, you were talking about apes. For me, <laughs> is war uh, for the planet of the apes. You know, it's, it's another discussion. Is it better than the first? That the second one? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the three are, are very solid. But what Matt Reeves and company did, I think, is incredible. Uh, Andrew Serkis. You were talking about Will Harrison, Steve Sand. He steals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That character, Sings. man. Ugh, he, he, it hurts he's, you. It's amazing. And it's heartbreaking. You know, it's a, it's a movie for, for adults, about yeah. adult themes, about revenge, about um, extermination of a, of a group of um, entities, beings, people, whatever you want to call it. And I think that is the combination of a phenomenal franchise, probably the best trilogy when it comes to big, movies in the past mm. decades and it's kind of the proof that with great ideas and with great talent you can do reboots that are respectful of the past mm-hmm. but they take those themes into a new modern uh, direction and I, that was the review that when I was doing it I, I cried for a while because the ending is very powerful so had to be here well, we already touched upon this one. Logan, oh. um, I think, it was a very bold movie. They took a lot of uh, dark turns. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I thought it was a shame that Patrick Stewart wasn't nominated because his performance was just gut-wrenching. I mean, and the fact that I was going through care, you know, taking care of my dad at that time, that just really spoke to me. And my 14-year-old niece who saw it, she loved it because she could relate to it. You know, just the fact that you're taking a superhero genre and making it personal. And just the, the relationship between Logan and Professor X was just so beautiful. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah. It was just... And they're playing, you know, essentially father and son. And it was just heartbreaking. And then aside from the fact that he's dying. How dark is that? Yeah. You know? And Hugh Jackman's performance was just, I thought, phenomenal. I mean, so far the best Wolverine movie. There is a lot of death in that movie. Yeah. There's a lot of death. That you see and you, you don't. Yeah. In this world, most of the X-Men are dead yeah, in mean, the beginning. I don't think I've shed this many tears for a superhero film. I mean, <laughs> wow. So, I mean, it was just, it felt like an indie film. It, that's, yeah. Right? That's it. It just felt like yeah. so, if it's like, that's the direction we need to go with superhero films. A western samurai. Yeah. It was movie. just, it was just, I don't know. It was just perfect. It was a perfect film and I'll watch it whenever it's on cable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, for me, my number three is Safety Not Guaranteed. I uh, love you, Scott. <laughs> uh, Colin Trevorrow. Uh, this, hands down, no questions asked, best best thing he's ever touched. Uh, it's just a very intimate, small little film about wacky characters, about time travel, Mark Duplass, probably the best thing that Aubrey Plaza has ever done, too. Um, Jake Johnson just uh, and this was like almost the uh, introduction to uh, Karen Sony 
who we now see from Deadpool and all those movies. Uh, this is where he got his start. And he played like this really nerdy like newspaper, newspaper journalist who wanted to go along with this. Uh, it's a beautiful love story, a beautiful film about science, science fiction, time travel, loneliness, um, connection. It just... God, I just love this movie so much. I remember seeing it at South by Southwest, and I could not shut up about it. It was just fantastic. I need to see it again. Uh, number <laughs> two, the hit you give. I mean, Great. this was my my favorite my favorite film last year. It was our pick for best picture. Uh, talking about the organization, and um, again, another film that you see others trying to replicate it, and they cannot. It's so powerful without feeling extremely preachy. There is an evident message. There is an evident anger, you know, that you can you can feel, that you can touch. But it's so genuine and organic that I, I couldn't help myself but to cry. I cry a lot watching this, this movie twice, I say, I know, three times. And everybody, I mean, the actors, Amanda Stenberg, Regina Hall, Russell Hornsby, the direction from George Tillman uh, Jr., spectacular. And it, it is one of those sad cases when you wonder, did this movie open? Was oh, this considered by, by award bodies? Nobody talked about it, and it was phenomenal. So, the hate you give. Yeah. Wow. Very good. All right, my number two, right? Yep. Get Out. Again, another game changer. Yeah, it's a game changer. A yeah. unique plot. You didn't know where this was going. Well, I mean, it's a little bit of it, but... And just the dialogue is just <laughs> amazing, you know? And it's... Yeah, just the subject matter was just so odd that... Some people don't like it, but I don't think they get it. I don't no. think they get the reference. People who don't like Get Out definitely don't get it. Yeah, like they don't get it. Like because it's cultural appropriation in the effed up way. <laughs> there's so much to date. I mean, and that movie's a game changer for so many reasons because not only do I feel like people of color connected with it, mm. but I think that that was a movie that actually like opened up conversation for yeah. like white people even people who I think were close minded at the time they saw that movie and they're like oh this is saying something what is this saying and it, another film where you can watch over and over again and mm-hmm. you can pull a little bit out of it and change the career of Jordan Peele mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you know I, I didn't love us as much as I, I loved yeah. that movie yeah. but you know it, it made him the man that he is today and he will become a filmmaker for the next 10 to 20 years at least mm-hmm. because of Get Out and yeah. the success of that film. And it's a master class in uh, suspense. I mean, oh, oh, yeah. Some Very Hitchcockian. Yeah. But phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. My number two, this is the this is probably the most obvious pick on, on the list, Social Network. Have to say Social Network. Um, you got... Aaron Sorkin writing the script. You got David Fickner uh, doing the direction. And then you have, I guess, career best performance from Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield. Both of them. I mean, Andrew Garfield, after this movie, I felt like he just was like one great thing after another great thing after another great thing in terms of his performances. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just such a, a an eye-opening film about... Everything that we know about today and everything we're talking about, about Mark Zuckerberg and how much of a douche he was and, <laughs> and, is. and is to this day <laughs> and how he didn't care about anyone and effing everyone over. Just profit, profit, and, profit. Yeah. It's just such a special film and, and one that I think is, is kind of timeless. It's yeah. a kind of timeless tale and, and it almost serves as a cautionary tale, too. Absolutely. Uh, number one? Yeah. Remember what I was saying at the beginning of, um, you know, these are subjective? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, what's coming? What's coming? Okay. I know we don't have much time, but <laughs> let's see if you can guess it. Okay? Once more into the fray, into the last good fight I'll ever know. Live and die on this day. Live and die on this day. I know because I cheated. I looked over. I know it. You, yeah. know, you know it? Awesome. I know it. What is it? The gray. The gray. Oh. <laughs> I love the gray. I, I think like I, too. I think I'm the biggest fan of this movie in the world. <laughs> uh, Joe Carnahan did just such an amazing job. I saw this in theaters three times. Wow. And Liam Neeson, Frank Grillo, he deserved mm-hmm. an Academy Award nomination. Any nomination. 
as a supporting role. Phenomenal. I think that the movie had the, the kind of the bad luck of coming out at the same time that you had all these other Liam Neeson action films. So it was kind of a, a joke. Of, oh. oh, he's punching wolves now. I think that is about <laughs> life and death. I think that when you see the wolves, you're talking about um, the representation of, of mortality and death. And th- there is a current theme throughout the movie. You have a monologue of Liam Neeson uh, cursing God, you know? And overall, I think it's one of the, those perfect movies. The ending, you don't know exactly what's, what's going to happen. Like, you don't know what's going to happen with you. When you're going to die, you don't know. The only thing I know is that in, in my dying bed, I want Liam Neeson talking to me and <laughs> ushering me into the other side, like one of the... The person that we see at the beginning, yeah, yes. Oh, wow. You're dying. You are. Okay. What year was that? It's been a while. 2012, oh, yes. Oh, okay. Wow. Mm. I like that movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about top ten. I, I don't know about top ten either, but hey, I, that's what, again, isn't that what makes film criticism so great yeah. and film in general? Because every movie connects with people differently. Oh, so we come at it at a personal angle. Yes. Yeah. All right, so my number one, which probably not surprised people who follow me, Parasite. Oh, really? Yes, uh, that movie almost changed my life because I was like, <laughs> who wrote this? Who's the director? I went in there with really no knowledge of it. So it was just like a, a really nice surprise. And again, to me, themes. The theme of this movie, it's a foreign language film, but it's universal. Anybody who's been in those, like, the rich versus poor and it's such a game changer because it's not stereotypical of classes. You know, it's actually the lower class trying to pull a fast one on the upper class. So you don't mm-hmm. see that. You usually see the sympathies on the lower class and the, you know, the, the rich people are the evildoers. Yeah. But it's a mix of both. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was a genius. That yeah. He's not placing blame on it. everybody. It's all a circle. You know, everyone has a little blame in it. And then the people in the middle... Yeah. Also, like the middle class is actually incorporated into the film too, yeah. uh, in ways that they're kind of get the worst of it mm-hmm. in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because stuff happens to them. Yeah, I mean the first scene is they're trying to steal somebody's Wi-Fi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're moving around the house to find the reception. They're like, oh my god, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's the kind of people we're de- right away. It informs you what kind of people we're dealing with. They're the parasite, but then later he changes it up. But who's the parasite? Like. That's yeah. That's I. I I'm talking that, about directors of the decade. Yeah. You know, uh, Bong Joon Ho. Yeah. Phenomenal work. Yeah. No, he's he's got a good body of work. He's got a good body of work, and the thing that I will say real quickly about Parasite is that what you mentioned about foreign film. It's a foreign film where I think people are not going to mind reading the subtitles mm-hmm. because it's so deeply engaging. Yeah, it's physical. Yeah, and it just it has so much to say, and it, we talked about this with another film, different genres. It becomes a horror movie in some ways. It's a drama. It's a comedy. It's a thriller. It, it just works really, really well across the board. And it, that was a film, Nestor can tell you this, that I walked out of it the first time I saw it, and I said, it was good. I don't know if it was great. And then I saw it again when I went to Toronto, and I was like, wow, this really was great. Like, now I'm like, I see it. Like, you mentioned some movies you do have to kind of, like, I think it's the hype, right? With yeah. movies, like, yeah. sometimes where you have the hype, and if you don't get in before the hype is already there, you kind of walk into it, and you're kind of like, eh, it wasn't really that great. Yeah. And, and, and in other cases, it totally kills the movie, and you're like, never lives up to the hype. Um, my number one pick is Short Term 12. You talk about a very interesting game changer. Short Term 12, I've spoken about this a lot on this show. Anyone who knows me, I grew up uh, in a household with foster kids. Big part of my life. It's the reason why a movie like Instant Family moved me and spoke to me so deeply. Um, But Short Term 12 just was just... It's an, it's an unforgettable film for me. It's a movie that I fought so hard to see at South by Southwest. It was so hard to get into this movie because it wound up winning the audience winner prize and I wound up seeing it at the very last screening. And I interviewed Bree and a bunch of these, these actors who are now huge stars. Uh, and that's something where we should 
talk about is that Brie Larson wasn't really a household name back then. Rami Malek was not a household name back then. Lakeith Stanfield, not a household name. Caitlin Neaver, not a household name. And Dustin Daniel Crenton, uh, again, not a household name, and now he's doing Just Mercy and he has a big superhero movie coming out in two years. This is a game-changing movie for everyone in, involved, but it is a beautiful film about troubled uh, 20-somethings, uh, people who live in the foster care system and the struggle that what they deal with and being abandoned and just having a conversation how much that means to someone and those little small intimate moments that will change someone's life. Uh, you talk about a lot of movies that you cry. This is another one like Won't You Be My Neighbor where I just bawled my eyes out after I saw it. Just beautiful, powerful stuff and just so subtle and so simple. Just just the, the kindness of just someone when someone's upset going to the door and talking to the door and trying to get them to cool, you know, calm down and cool. Uh, become cool and collected. It's just, just wonderful, wonderful film. So awesome. So this was a very unique I list know. from all yeah. of us. Uh, <laughs> probably one of the most unique li- lists that you'll probably find this award season, uh, or at the end of the decade. I want to say. Um, you guys, have any closing remarks before we end this? No, I think that's the point, right? I mean, lists are not kind of final sentences; are the the beginning of a conversation. Yes, and they also should, in a, an ideal situation, you know, offer something that most people haven't heard of. Yeah, and that's what's kind of the the idea, the goal here. And provide a watch list too. I know I've been like, oh, I gotta watch that. I gotta put that on my list, yeah. and you know, people are always looking for new stuff to explore. That's what I think is interesting because I think so many people just they go down a list. I, I've read a lot of like decade lists so far, and I felt like okay, of course that's on there, and I have a, a few of those on there. But I also feel like you were saying they were either game changers or something that really stuck out personally for me. Um, but I, I wanted to go with movies that I saw that I feel like not a lot of people talk about, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we all did that in, in a lot of ways. So thank you so much for sharing. Uh, so we do have, unfortunately have to wrap this up. Um, where can everyone find you? Uh, me, you can find me uh, running the bilingual uh, Muñoz website desde Hollywood.com uh, in Spanish. You can um, listen to me and watch me talking about movies on YouTube on Nestor Cine. And then I do a couple of uh, weekly shows for LA Times en Español. And you can find that on their YouTube channel. All right, my, my website is cinemovie.tv. I got interviews and reviews. I'm on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, cinemovie.tv. Sounds good. And you can find me over at WeLiveEntertainment.com, Twitter and Instagram, the other Scott M. Thank you so very much for watching and supporting this show. We look forward to seeing you in the new year on a new network. Happy holidays, everyone, and we'll see you next year. Take care. Happy Happy holidays. holidays. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.